You're listening to the Gateway Christian Church Beckley Campus Podcast. To find out more about the church, visit our website at gatewaychristianchurch.net. Let's get into this week's message. Last week we started a series called Second Chances. And when you think of the new year, you think of a, a new start, a fresh start, a do-over, a reset. And in preparing this message, I originally thought of the scriptures in Philippians 3, in the passage, in the verses 13 through 14, the Apostle Paul says, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. Verse 14, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And that was fitting for a second chance passage. Forgetting what was in the past, let's move forward. Pressing on toward the goal, a second chance. But after some more thought and prayer, there was a passage in Mark 8 that is unique in the healing of Jesus that jumped out at me. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Mark chapter 8, and let's read the story of a blind man healed by Jesus. It starts at verse 22. They came to Bethsaida. And some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, Do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, don't even go into the village. How many of you in here have heard of the term life hacks? Good. I wasn't the only one that was enlightened to this new term. Uh, but if you go on Pinterest or Google, life hacks, you'll find all these things that people have come up with to make life easier. I'm like, man, where have I been? There's easier ways to do things than the way I've been doing them. <clears throat> or how you could find something around your house to accomplish certain tasks. You'll notice that life hacks deal with productivity, how to make your life more efficient, how to be more efficient in doing things. Some examples would be turn off distractions, take breaks, or this term called batch process. And I really like this one. What this means is that if your demands of your daily activities include routine tasks, then you try to group the similar tasks 
and schedule them at certain times. So, for example, you would set two or three different times during the day to check and respond to emails. Or I'm going to return phone calls at 11.45 a.m. and 4.45 p.m. One productivity tip that I found interesting was the concept of never touch something twice. So, for example, you take this piece of paper, you get it, you're handed this piece of paper, you look at it, it represents a task, uh, such as a bill that needs paid or a decision that you need to make. Once it's handed to you, you look at it, you review it, and you say, hmm, I don't really feel like doing that right now. But you know you need to do it, yet you go on to other tasks, and you're handed more papers, but in the back of your mind, you know you still have this one task that needs to be done. So what happens is, is you've spent two minutes looking at this task and holding it, and then the next time you think about it, You pull it out again, you look over it, and you say, well, I'm still not really ready to do that again. So you just put it back. And you do that another time. Then more tasks come up. And all this time in the back of your head, you're thinking about this one task that you should have already taken care of, but it's still on your plate to do. It seems like every time it comes up, it's at the most inopportune time, and you still don't get it done. But when you actually have a moment to work on it, you put it off, and so that ruins your productivity. Never touch something twice. So the idea is, is when you touch it initially, you go ahead and you take care of it. And that may mean by putting it on your calendar when you're going to do it, or you assign it to somebody else. This would be a great business practice. Never touch something twice. Clearly, Jesus didn't know nothing about life hacks. And I'm not sure Jesus was all concerned about productivity because in the miracle in Mark 8, he is touching a guy twice. And this morning, I want to suggest to you as we wrap up this series called Second Chances, that you might think you need a second chance, but what would be better, what we may really need, is a second touch. So let's look at the background of this miracle. A few things that I want you to know about the healing the trivia part of it. I always tell my teens, you know, if you want to go home and ask your parents some hard questions and make them think that you're really smart because you've been reading your Bibles, this is that moment, teens. This is the only time this miracle is recorded in the Gospels. We have the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they all give us historical accounts of Jesus' life. And they often overlap. It's the same stories are told, but they're just told from different perspectives. But this miracle, the one we read today, 
is only recorded in the Gospel of Mark. The second thing, in the Gospel of Mark, there is only three occasions where Jesus withdrew from people to heal someone. We see it in Mark 5 when he raises the daughter of Jairus. We see it in Mark 7 with the healing of a deaf mute. And here in Mark 8 with the healing of this blind man. But the most unique thing about this particular healing is that this is the only time Jesus does a healing in movements. Now, you might think, well, what about in the story of John 9, when Jesus made some mud and dirt and saliva and placed it over the blind, man, the blind man's eyes, and then he had him wash in the pool of Salaam. That's the closest we have to a healing happening in movements. What I'm getting at is that there wasn't a partial healing. And then this second touch that caused him to totally be healed. The whole healing happened there when he washed himself in the pool. But here is what we find in this miraculous healing. It's like Jesus intentionally left something unfinished. Jesus spits on the guy's eyes, and let's just get this over with. That's really weird. And it's probably, well, we know it's before COVID. But he spits on his eyes, and he puts his eyes on the man's, he puts his hands on the man's eyes and says, do you see anything? And the guy says, I do see, just not clearly. Here's what he says. He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. So obviously the guy had once been able to see. Otherwise, what would he know what trees look like? So he says, Sam over here, he looks like an elm tree walking around. And then we got Britt up here. He looks like a big old oak tree waving his limbs. But what we're seeing here is that Jesus had done this first act of healing, but the miracle isn't done yet. Again, there has never been a single other time recorded in Scripture where Jesus went to do a healing, he performed the miracle, and stepped back, and it wasn't completely done. So what's happening here? Is this guy's condition so worse than anyone else's Jesus couldn't heal him at the first encounter? I don't think so. I mean, he raised someone from the dead. It happened immediately after Jesus told Lazarus to get up. Lazarus didn't come out of the tomb half alive and half dead. It happened immediately when Jesus said, come out. But this guy in Mark 8, he gets touched by Jesus, and he can kind of see, but not clearly. So what's going on here? Or more importantly, what's not going on here? This is not Jesus needing a do-over. 
This isn't Jesus having a bad day or Jesus not getting enough sleep. This isn't Jesus losing power. This isn't Jesus needing an energy drink. So this is what we're left with. Jesus meant to do this. He intentionally left the miracle undone. He meant to mess it up. Get this. He seemingly was willing to walk away, leave this man with unfinished business, with partial visibility. Why? We all know that Jesus doesn't do anything without a purpose. And that means he intended from the beginning to touch this man twice. Now, he wanted to heal the man's eyes, just like the man's friends wanted him to be healed. And let's just take a moment to appreciate the fact that this miracle would not have happened had it not been for the faithfulness of the blind man's friends. Verse 22 says, some people brought a blind man and begged, begged Jesus to touch him. They didn't ask Jesus, can you, or Jesus, would you? They knew that if Jesus was just willing to touch this man, he would see again. So what did Jesus do when the people begged him to touch this man? Verse 23 says, he took, the blind man, he took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? Again, let's take a moment and appreciate Jesus took this man by the hand. You know, we just celebrated Christmas. And to me, one of the most amazing names for Jesus, which was revealed by the prophet Isaiah, and then Matthew points it out, points his name out in telling the story of Christmas. The name is Emmanuel, God with us. God took on flesh and walked with us, walked among us, reached out and took the hands of people and led them. And I'm telling you, this wasn't just stuff he did while he walked here on earth. God still reaches out his hand to lead us, to walk with us. But the question is, are you willing to take his hand? So Jesus led this man by the hand outside the village of Bethsaida. And this is where the miracle begins. But again, it happens in phases, one round at a time. Why is that? What well, has to do with the context. So we have to realize what has happened up until this point. And in the bigger picture of this chapter of Mark chapter 8, in the bigger picture, the things that are going on up until this point 
Jesus had been trying to get his disciples to understand that they're blind and the Pharisees are blind. Let's talk about what's been going on leading up to the miracle. At the beginning of Mark 8, for the second time, Jesus feeds thousands of people. The first time was the feeding of the 5,000. Here in Mark 8, we have the feeding of 4,000. Each time, Jesus had his disciples to scrounge up some food for the crowds that were following. And with both of these miracles, there was only a little bit of bread and fish. Basically, only enough to feed a handful of people. And Jesus multiplied what was brought to him. And everyone went away with full stomachs, and the disciples collected plenty of leftovers. After this feeding of 4,000, Jesus and his disciples got in a boat, and Jesus began to warn the disciples about the Pharisees that they weren't worth following. Jesus says, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees. When the disciples heard the word yeast, they started to panic. They started to think about bread and realized they didn't have enough bread with them for this boat ride. They only had one loaf. And then leading up to our story today, this is what we read in Mark 8, verse 17. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered, seven. He said to them, do you still not understand? Jesus is going, are you blind? Why are you so worried about not having bread? I fed thousands of people with scraps. I think I can take care of you 12. In other words, don't you see who I am? How are you not seeing what is right in front of you? He says, do you have eyes but fail to see? You're worried about not having bread in front of the bread of life. Jesus said to them, do you still not understand? It's like you see, but you can't see. You're blind, but you're not blind. So that brings us up to our story today. That's what precedes this miraculous healing. So what is it that Jesus is trying to get them and us to understand and to see? 
I think he wants us to realize that it's possible to be at a place in life where you are not quite blind, but you can't quite see. And I truly believe this is where the majority of most American Christians are at today. And for some reason, we're content on being here. For most Christians, for most of us, at one point in our life, God has touched us. He did something dramatic in our life. And at one point, we cried out to Jesus. You asked him to save you. You jumped in the water, both feet, and God worked a miracle in your life, or he worked in a, in a miraculous way. But for some reason, that's where a lot of us stop. So we're saved, but we can't find out why we feel so purposeless. We can't understand why we don't have joy why we don't have peace? Why are we so restless? We're saved, but we get annoyed with obeying God. We feel like his commands are a burden, like he's holding us back, like he's trying to make our lives miserable with all these rules. We see generosity as a chore. Sharing our faith is an obligation rather than something we're excited to do. We're saved. We're professed to be Christians, but we pursue the same things that the unsaved pursue. We've been forgiven, but for some reason, we can't seem to forgive others. And for some of us, we don't want to forgive others. We're saved, and we love other people as long as they're easy to love, as long as they're nice and they're like us. And we thought this touch from Jesus would stop all the anger in our life, but it just keeps boiling over. And so we read, and so we're dead, but we're not alive, but we are alive. But now we, and so we are dead, but now we are alive. We were blind, but now we see. It's just that we don't see the way we should see, but we see. And that's a dangerous place to be because we can be so mesmerized by the fact that we can actually see that we stop asking to see more. You don't ask for that second touch. And I believe we are in a desperate need for that second touch. But many of us are living in a life stuck between touches. But what if there's more? Like you think you've experienced all there is. But God's over there wanting you to see more. He has something for you that is immeasurably more than all you could ask for or imagine. But you're content with people who look like trees. 
I love what the Apostle Paul says, quoting from Isaiah. He writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. He wants to reveal things to us, but we're content with that first touch. So what do we do? How do we move past being stuck between touches? How do we see that? How do we receive that second touch and see things more clearly? First, we have to admit that we can't see clearly, that we aren't seeing clearly. But we are people who don't like to admit when something is wrong. We think we have it all together. When someone asks us how you're doing or how we're doing, we have that normal Christian answer. Oh, I'm blessed. I'm just so blessed. Or we pose and pose and pose and take 48 pictures before we post just that right one that makes us look like we got it all together and that our kids are perfect and we're perfect parents and we got a perfect marriage. But really, we're just faking it. But we, don't, we won't admit that because we can see just enough to know things should be better but our pride keeps us from admitting that things aren't really better. This man in Mark 8, he's brought to Jesus, and Jesus takes the time with this man. Jesus drops everything and takes this man by the hand and touches him. This isn't the angry Jesus that you heard about when you was growing up who's always mad at you. This is the real Jesus. This is the Jesus of the Bible. The same Jesus that we serve today. This is the Jesus who will take you by the hand because you can't see. And he will meet you right where you're at today. You don't have to do anything. Are you struggling today? Are you, still working, are you still working off that New Year's hangover? Were you up late looking at porn last night? He will still take you by the hand. He loves you right where you are. Is your marriage in shambles today? Are you struggling with same-sex attractions? Have you had an abortion? Do you have a drinking problem? Do you have a drug addiction? Were you screaming at your kids on the way to church this morning, but then you walked in saying, I'm blessed. I'm just so blessed. He will take you by the hand right where you're at, full of your messes. Jesus loves you and he cares for you unconditionally just where you are. 
In our text, Jesus takes this man by the hand. He walks him outside the city, and he touches him. And the guy can see, sort of, partially. Now, we have no indication that Jesus let on that there's any more, th- any more that's going to happen here. It's almost like he's ready to walk away. And he asks him, do you see anything? Now, this guy's in a difficult spot. Have you ever gotten a gift, and it's not really a great gift? And the person's like, do you like it? And you're like, oh, man, gee, thanks. It's just what I wanted on, Ethel. I love that neon pink and orange sweater. It will go great with those bright green pants that you got me last year. Right? We just fake it. So the guy in today's text has to be grateful that he can see anything. Shouldn't he just be polite and accept this healing for what it is? No. This man is honest with Jesus. He's honest with Jesus. And he admits he can't see clearly. He says, I see people, they look like trees walking around. Things just aren't as clear as they should be. What if he would have said, I'm fine, it's all good, when, he really, when really it wasn't? Pride would have kept this man saying, oh, how I see colors, it's so bright. I'm just blessed. But he was willing to admit he could not see completely. You can't be helped to see until you admit you can't see things all the way clearly. And that's my prayer for us today. That we ask God to awaken in us the boldness to say, It's not fine. I'm not fine. I've got some things in my life that needs to be taken care of. Everything is not okay. Why would we get a second touch when we keep trying to convince everyone, including ourselves, that the first touch was enough? The second thing we need to do in order to receive the second touch is don't be satisfied. Now, some of you here, you hear this and you're having a hard time reconciling this with the scriptures because we're told to be content. But that's more talking about content with what you do or don't have materially being content in all external circumstances, being content, being satisfied in Jesus no matter what's going on around you. But when you aren't seeing clearly, you shouldn't be satisfied. When you've been a Christian for 15 years and you just feel stuck and you're asking, is this all there is? You shouldn't be satisfied. 
And if you've been a Christian for years and you're still drinking milk rather than eating meat, spiritually speaking, you shouldn't be satisfied. So if you're having a hard time reconciling this, let me remind you that we serve a God who provides us with our daily bread. That means yesterday's bread's gone. Today, you have to ask for something new. That's what Jesus told us to pray. Give us today our daily bread. You've got to ask for. You've got to seek the second touch. I've heard it said that you don't have everything God wants you to have. You have everything you have asked for and not a bit more. Scripture puts it this way. You don't have it because you didn't ask for it. If you're like me, maybe you've been at a point in your relationship with God where you've asked, is this all there is? I thought there would be more. And God's right there going, oh, you want more? I was just waiting for you to ask. Do you feel dry today? Do you feel tired? Do you feel like you're at the end of your rope? Do you feel blind like things aren't clear today? Good. Then maybe you aren't satisfied and maybe you are ready to see clearly. Maybe you're ready for God to fill you again. Maybe you're ready for that second touch. Church, Jesus isn't done with us. But if you're standing over here going, I'm okay. I'm pretty good. I can pretty much see. I mean, the people look like trees, but that's okay. I'm fine with that. Then you'll always be stuck in between touches. Don't be satisfied with where you're at. Don't be satisfied with seeing blurry, seeing fuzzy. There's a Savior ready to give you a second touch. And here's what we find in the second touch that makes life so much more fulfilling. With the first touch, I can see. With the second touch, I can see others. In the first touch, it's about what I can see, what you can see. But in that second touch, it's who we can see. The first touch is God doing something for me. The second touch is God doing something through me. It's moving from selfish, unfulfilled living to living on a mission. Jesus touched the man once, and he saw people, but they were like silhouettes. They were like trees. But when Jesus touched this man a second time, and he pulled his hands away, what was the first thing this man saw? 
He saw the face of Jesus, and he saw it clearly. So as Karen and Taylor comes, today while you're sitting there, before we take communion, or as you're taking communion, pray, ask for, seek more than just a second chance. But tell God you want that second touch. You want God to use you. You want God to work through you. Maybe you're here and you've never, or you're on TV, Facebook, and you've never seen Jesus' face. There's no better time, no better way to start this new year than to receive the salvation of Jesus, to be able to see his face clearly and for him to give you direction in your life.